0: The sermon scripture reading will be from Acts, um, chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Um, if you want to take a minute to find it in your Bible or your phone, and then when you're ready, if you're able, will you stand for the reading of God's Word. And again, it's Acts 9, 32 through 43. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Then Peter said to him, Annias, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics, and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon at Tannic. This is the word the people of God. Thanks
1: so we're looking at uh, the Acts of the Apostles, so-called really be called the Acts of the Ascended Lord, because it's all about the ascension of Jesus and then the way he sends his spirit, and then that spirit is a witness to the kind of reign, unique kind of reign, not the reign of Caesar, Caesar who is Nero at this time, uh, but the reign of God, and um, we will see him slowly um, topple the Roman Empire um, and as his kingdom spreads. So it's all about going from... Uh, Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Just the spreading of the kingdom of God. And uh, one of the phrases that's used a lot is signs and wonders. Uh, It's a great thing to put in your lexicon. If you you usually use the word miracle, I would suggest you replace that word miracle with signs and wonders. Because they're signs of the reign of Christ. They're wonders that show the wonderful counselors on the throne. And these signs and wonders just lit up these Roman cities like Joppa and Lydda um, with the the restoration of all things, because that's what the big picture of Acts is going to. It's going to just uh, the takeover of the creation by this gracious uh, king, Jesus. Uh, he is he is going to come and even creation itself, which is subject to futility. Uh, as Paul says in Romans 8, the creation has been subjected to futility. And then one day uh, it would be restored to the glory of the children of God. So even the creation, our bodies, our very bodies, are going to be brought back to life. And so we saw that in the town of Shechem. That was a few chapters ago where demons were expelled and this paralytic was healed and this lame man walked. Those are signs and wonders of the restoration of all things, including the creation, the whole created order. In verse 35, we see the the residents of Lydda, a small town of Lydda. They saw, and they turned to the Lord. And then in 42, it says that the whole city of Joppa believed in the Lord. Because they saw these signs and wonders of um, Aeneas being healed, and then Dorcas being raised. And all the miracles of Jesus uh, were basically saying, let there be more life. Let there be less death. So whether it be the um, the, the bread, you know, the multiplication of bread, or the, the good wine. He, he even turned... Um, you know, water into good, really good quality wine. That's, that's a way of him saying, I want more life in this creation. I want more uh, zest, less death, less disorder. He still the storm because the storm was chaotic. Um, every miracle, the, the paralytic that was healed, Lazarus being raised. He's doing those things still through his church now. But the whole point is um, they're not magic tricks. They're not like parlor games. Uh, they are these spectacles of the reign of christ and they're all about bringing restoration and life so i want to look at that first and then the the great wonder is the second point which is much more important than the the signs and wonders are important but the great wonder is that anyone would turn to the lord and that anyone would believe on the lord that's the great wonder not just that's that's the restoration of eternal life into his creation so first of all the signs and the wonders Um, Peter went here and there among them all, verse 32. So what's going on there is that um, persecution happened. uh, Stephen was martyred. The church, which didn't really want to leave Jerusalem, was forced out of Jerusalem. And so they they move into the areas around Jerusalem, into basically the area of Samaria and Judea. And so now the church has has been forced to go out. So at one point, all the believers were basically in Jerusalem. And now they're being pushed out by persecution kind of against their own will, but now they've moved into Shechem, and now over towards the coast, they are in Lydda and Joppa, heading towards Caesarea, which is like a major Roman stronghold in Judea, but you can kind of see the church moving out, they're moving out, and and so Peter is sent out to shepherd them, kind of go on a a circuit, where he's like checking in on the flocks, and they're these new little flocks that have started in Lydda and in Joppa, and so Peter is going now from Shechem in Samaria and he's going towards the coast, moving west uh, to the coastal plain. And now he comes down to the saints coming down the hill and he's coming to the saints who live in this little town of Lydda, little tiny town of Lydda, which is today Lud. And uh, in Lydda, there are these, again, saints that were basically probably mostly Jewish or they are Gentiles who have become Jewish and they're called God-fearers and these Saints uh, have been driven out of Jerusalem by persecution, as I said. But this one man, Aeneas, which is, by the way, the name of the guy who founded the Roman Empire. If you know the Aeneid, I studied that in high school. But Aeneas, in verse 33, uh, this man is probably not from Jerusalem because he couldn't have made that trek, most likely, um, unless they put him on a cart or something like that. But they probably didn't. So it's likely that Aeneas is from Lydda. It's likely that when these Christians arrived in Lydda being pushed out of Jerusalem that they met Aeneas and then he became a believer. So I just imagine him you know, being wheeled around in a cart or on the side of a street or something like that. Uh, this new convert. And, and Jesus, when he sends Peter into Lydda, he does this beautiful thing. which is, he, It says that Peter found him. He found Aeneas, which means that Christ directed him down the streets to this man. I'm not sure if Peter was hearing from the Lord or not. Probably so. But we find out in verse 33, the doctor Luke tells us that he had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And some people think he was eight years old. That's what Some commentators think that the Greek says he's eight years old. So let's picture him as an eight-year-old child who was paralyzed somewhere along the line. Maybe he was born that way, but he's been in a bed for either eight years or his whole life. And Peter... Knows the Lord has directed him to this man, to Aeneas. And he sees the pain in Aeneas. Um, whether it was caused by you know a broken neck. Um, but he sees that he can't run, he can't walk. He's isolated because he can't move around. I mean, all the things that come with paralysis. They, they didn't have the, the kind of electric wheelchairs we have now. They, they didn't have any of the ways that people could get around now who are paralyzed. So uh, this man is in such pain... And Aeneas doesn't even have to ask. He probably just looks up at Peter. He has no idea what's coming. And then Peter just says his name, which is a wonder in itself. Let's assume he didn't know his name. And he just says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you now. And he doesn't pray. We'd have to pray. Like, that could still happen today, but we'd have to pray. But we do not have the authority of the Apostle Peter. He was given the authority to write scripture. Nobody has that authority anymore. So if anybody goes around telling you they're an apostle, they're not like Peter. Because nobody can command healing um, simply by being told by the Lord to heal. He just says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you now. And immediately in verse 34, immediately he rose. It's um, It's like all the nerves in his body responded to the authoritative command of Jesus coming through the mouth of Peter. He just immediately stands up. And I can just imagine uh, his shock, his face, you know, his mother's face, just weeping. And then for the first time, trying to use his legs. I mean, this is, <clears throat> this caused the whole city to turn to the Lord. This miracle, this little tiny town of Lydda was, it says they all turned to the Lord because they saw this miracle happen. Because so much pain was being undone. So much restoration was happening. My wife worked at this uh, Rehab place outside of Philadelphia. Called, it was called Woods Services. And it was mostly people um, who were, were head-injured patients and mostly for a long, long time. They had been there a long time. Head-injured patients. Uh, some of them, like Aeneas, couldn't get around at all. In, in some cases, they had, they had just lost cognitive function, many of them. And there was one guy who was... Um, his injury was so bad to his brain um, that he, would be, he became very violent often and abusive in his language. And this is not what he was like at all before he had his head injury. It was really, really sad. And eventually families would stop, they would stop visiting sometimes these, uh, these children that they had. It was just too painful for them to be there. So I just can't imagine if this person, this man, um, if he had been healed. You know, somebody had come along and just said, you know, James... Uh, Jesus Christ heals you now. I mean, that whole place would be converted instantly. I mean, that would be such, and then all the family—the just the way it would—it would work through family systems. So the, the the stuff that Jesus is doing through Peter and just his apostles, this is not Harry Potter magic. Like that's why miracle can be a little bit tricky. Um, this is not Simon the sorcerer met. Peter, and said, I want that power. How much do I have to pay to get that power? And Peter said, it's not about power. It's about the, the holiness of a loving God healing people. So, you know, perish with your money, he says to Simon the sorcerer. This is in, in some of the Gospels that um, were not authentic Gospels that were written much later uh, by Gnostic communities. They had Jesus doing magic tricks. Like In one of them, he, he elongates two-by-fours to fit perfectly into places that his dad was working in. That's just fabrication. There's another one where he turns these clay pigeons into real pigeons. There's another one where he turns uh, these kids who are making fun of them, uh, like he, he injures them in some way just by saying something to them. So this is, that is not what signs and wonders are. Like, let's not conflate them with the way we think of as magic. It's not like that at all. Uh, signs and wonders are always about healing. Uh, they're always about healing. They're about the new creation power coming They are about um, undoing the death and decay of this creation that we as humans brought into the creation. So I don't like to think of them. I mean, I was a physics major. I don't like to think of them as breaking the laws of nature. Sometimes people say a miracle is something that breaks the laws of nature. I don't like that. I would say a miracle restores the original creation in Eden. That's what it's doing. It's not breaking laws. It's, It's restoring something that has been lost. And it might look really different from the way nature typically operates. But it is not breaking anything. It's healing. Again, this is all going back to Romans 8.20. All creation, Paul says. All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the dead. When it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So dogs and trees and grass... And rivers, These things somehow, according to Paul, are looking forward. I don't think that's entirely figurative. They are looking forward to the day when it says they will join in God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We should name it and claim it with that verse. We should pray that verse that we are joining in as people who are healers. You know, whether you're in mental health professions or in creation care or medical care. We are we should pray that verse. That we are joining in um, with this freeing the creation from death and decay. Uh, that's what we're doing. And our hope is that uh, God has put his son's creation, new creation life, his resurrection life into the old creation. And it's already happening right now. It's going to be perfectly restored one day, but it's happening now. And there's this healing that's happening right now. You know, The Paris Climate Agreement uh, cannot touch the level of healing that God is putting into this creation through his son's resurrection life. In China, they have this great green wall. I don't know if you've heard of this, but they're building this great green wall, which is kind of like the, the Great Wall of China, but it's made of trees. And they're trying to protect China from the, the Gobi Desert, you know, and the incursion of the Gobi Desert. So they have, they have planted literally millions of trees in the Gobi Desert. And that's kind of a, an image of the way God is just... They just send these things down from, apparently, from airplanes. Just shoot these, these seeds down into the ground. And God is bringing about new creation life through the ascended Christ. So, again, if you're in health care, do not neglect the power of that verse, Romans 8.20. You are part of uh, restoring creation from its decay and death. And you should pray that. You know, you're not alone in that work. Or if you're in creation care, if you're doing things with sustainability or... Environmental care in some way, um, recycling even, just whatever we're doing to help sustain the creation, we are working with the energy of the Messiah as we do those things. So be confident. You know, be bold. That that, that is what healing's about. We're trying to fight extinction, waste, smog, disease, depression, addiction, even death. You know, in our day right now, sixty percent of girls and thirty percent of boys are fighting. Persistent feelings of hopelessness. And we have the power of the new creation. We can bring and speak into the lives of those kids. So that's the first point. Is signs and wonders. They're not magic tricks. They're the restoration of all things. In the seed form. Now as great as those are. You know Dorcas died again. And Aeneas lost the ability to walk. When he got older. I mean we many people do. At some point you just lose bodily functions so as good as those things are they are just a preview of coming attractions the real wonder is eternal life someone turning to the lord someone believing in the lord that's the real wonder so if you're a christian if you believe if you have faith the greatest miracle of all the greatest sign and wonder is the fact that you have faith or that you have repented is an enormous miracle Look at verse 35, when the residents of Lydda saw Aeneas, they turned to Jesus. And that's a a once-in-a-lifetime event. That's once and forever. You turn to Jesus, you never get turned back. If you turn to Jesus, you're always facing Jesus. You might try to face away, but the Spirit will bring you back face-to-face with him. So these people have been regenerated. They've been given new life. They've been given the gift of repentance. We don't have to repent, we get to repent. So they have turned to Jesus. And if you watch someone's entire leg regrow, you know, someone who's lost a leg, if you've seen that, like, or an arm or a nose or any, any part of the body just entirely regrow right before your eyes, that is not nearly as big a sign and wonder as one person turning to the Lord. If you've ever seen that happen, I mean, the, the impact of that on this creation is huge, way beyond someone's leg being healed. When you see eternal life restored into a human soul, like mine was, you know, when I was 21 years old, I mean, my, my soul became new again. It became alive. It was dead. It was restored. And um, the, the greatest wonder is just watching um, someone like, I've seen husbands that have just repented, that were really treating their wives badly. They just repented. And, uh, and I thought... You know that repentance when that guy decided I'm going to stop doing that. Um, that that will change generations of the kids that come out of that. Let me read you from a prayer request a few about a month ago. Uh, the prayer request said there was a truly a miracle in my brother-in-law's heart last Friday during a court hearing. They were deciding whether to extend a protective order for his family against his anger and violence, but he suddenly apologized in the middle of this. Courtroom, And he took responsibility for his actions and is working to reconcile with his family. Now, how did that man's heart get changed? How did he turn? Because the spirit gave him this new life. And that, imagine the impact of that on his wife, his children, their children, just the whole family tree changed forever by that event. Again, you know, if if my hand uh, was paralyzed and it would start working again, that's nothing compared to this man. I mean, I, um, I still, I mean, we still have to keep repenting and repenting. You know, I keep kind of turning away from what I was turned to when I faced Christ. And, you know, for me, it's a lot of, um, a lot of it is just uh, intellectual pride, insecurity, not being straightforward, not being assertive. And I was just aware this weekend, um, I was just facing something that was challenging that. I I was aware of how much, how difficult it was for me to keep turning. But if I would just turn and keep turning back to face Jesus and repenting of those old patterns, the way that would bless people around me is enormous. And I imagine that's true of you too. There's something that you do regularly. That you're always being lured back to and you have to just keep turning back. To Jesus I mean you you once and for all your turn but you're going to keep being tempted to go back and back and I am certainly that way and so um, Dorcas is this woman who um, her life is a wonder. I mean she is this woman I don't know what she was like before. Uh, I imagine she was in Joppa before Peter uh, before the, the saints got there I don't think she was driven out of I don't think she was driven out of Jerusalem by persecution. I imagine she was in Joppa. And something deep and dark in her life got redeemed when she turned to the Lord. Because there was like this uh, explosion of compassion that affected the entire city of Joppa. And it was a decently large city. I mean, it was not like Winston-Salem, but it was, it was big enough that this woman turning, the wonder of her life, turning to Christ, um, caused this incredible impact, especially on the widows of that city. And back then, there was no Social Security There was no safety net. The Roman Empire did not have any safety net for those who were vulnerable and poor. And so the only hope for these widows who had no child and they had no husband and they were destitute was this woman, Dorcas, whose life had been completely turned around. It says that uh, she was so loved that they would not bury her. In verse 37 it says they washed her body and they laid her in upper room. So they didn't put her in the ground because somehow they were thinking maybe... Someone will come along and bring her back to life. So they just laid her in the upper room. And then when they heard Peter was near, this is one of those moments of synchronicity where they're waiting. They don't even know Peter's nearby. They suddenly hear that Peter's nearby while her body has not been buried in this upper room, having been washed. And they hear that Peter is nearby in Lydda. And these two guys, just it's like a marathon to get there. It's 13 miles there and back. I can just imagine them sprinting. Sprinting to get Peter and then bringing him back. And like, we've got to get Dorcas back to life because the loss of Dorcas in our city is, is devastating. And so Peter comes running back with these two guys. And when he gets there, I love this little detail that Luke gives. It says that he saw the wonders. No, he saw the widows weeping and showing him the tunics that Dorcas had made. And that just gives you a little bit of an insight right there into what Dorcas did and what she was like. She was a woman who was drawn to widows, you know, like a moth to a flame. Her, whatever it turned in her, whatever was redeemed and healed in her, she was drawn right to these people who were, who were really vulnerable, in enormous need. And what she did for them was she made them clothes because they couldn't get clothes otherwise. And so when Peter gets there and Dorcas's dead body is on the second story of this building. And as soon as Peter enters the building, it says that these widows came with their clothes and they held them up to Peter. and Like, we need her back because she made us these clothes. And the emotions are so overwhelming that Peter has to clear the room. He's like, we have to it's, we've got to get people out of this room because I cannot I cannot work. Or Dorcas, if there's just all these people that are weeping with their clothes around me. So he clears the room. And then it says in verse 16 that he knelt down. So he got on on one knee. He prayed. In this case, he didn't just say, rise from the grave. I don't really know why. But in this case, he had to pray. He prayed. And then he turned to the body. It doesn't say he turned to Dorcas. He turned to a dead corpse. that might have been somewhat cold and stiff, he turns to this body and he says to a body her name, Tabitha, her Jewish name, Tabitha, arise. And that's quite a verse right there. He turned to a, a body and he said, Tabitha, arise. And suddenly she opened up her eyes and sat up. It's like she was jolted back to life. And the first thing she saw Wouldn't you like to see your funeral and who was there and how much people love you? I mean, I've thought about that before. Like you go to a funeral and you're just like, I wish I could see who would show up. And she got to see it. She opens her eyes and there are all these people that love her, that were weeping with their clothes, her clothes that she made for them. And it's like, it's a wonderful life where, you know, the angel says, George, you've been given a great gift to see what the world would have been like without you. And that's what Dorcas got to see. And it's good for you to think about what that would be like, and then what would it, what would you want it to be like—the world that didn't have you in it—and who would you want to impact? the um, The celebration in the upper room and that house was so enormous. I imagine them like picking her up and putting the widows putting her on their shoulders and like marching her around the streets of Joppa uh, to great fanfare. This parade that spilled out into the streets of Joppa. Because it says in verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa. And unlike Lydda, where they all repented, it says that many repented. Many people believed in the Lord Jesus. That's how much the city valued her. And we define, uh, essentially how we define Wonder Woman. I was reading the the Wikipedia for this psychologist, apparently PhD uh, psychologist, invented Wonder Woman. And, you know, she's an Amazon princess. She's tall. She's strong. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's immortal. The daughter of Zeus. Um, she's invincible. She has that tiara that she throws and the you know, lasso. The original one did, and so that's how we think of the Wonder Woman. But to God, a wonder is someone like Dorcas, who is sitting there uh, bent over cloth, just like stitching all day long, pretty much unnoticed, probably. She might have been a widow as well. And she's just listening to these widows telling her their stories. Like To to us, it would be a nobody. I I, I use this illustration probably too often, but it's so great. Um, It's uh, from The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, which is one of my favorite books by him. And in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis is a traveler from hell who goes to heaven. And he meets people in heaven. And... um, one of the people he meets is this woman named Sarah Smith of Golders Green, and I've been to Golders Green, and it's like it's like a nothing. It's just a, it's like a suburb that's very colorless. Um, there's not much to, to Golders Green. It's one of the last stops on the Northern Line, so sh- this is Sarah Smith of Golders. So a very plain name and a very plain space. So C.S. in a suburb. P- C.S. Lewis is making a point, a nobody. So the traveler, C.S. Lewis. He meets Sarah Smith of Golders Green. And this, she's like this old woman living alone in this forgettable suburb on, in, in her time on earth. But now she's in heaven. And apparently she cared very deeply about animals and children. Like the children around her came to the, her house and she had these animals she cared for. So it's, when, when C.S. Lewis meets her, it says bright spirits danced around her and scattered flowers everywhere. Children and musicians processed before her. Animals leapt. Animals leapt. Joy shone through her clothes. And then C.S. Lewis asks his guide named George MacDonald, was she a person of particular importance? I don't recognize her. And then George MacDonald says, not in your world, but in this country, she is one of the great ones. And turning to the king creates great ones like that. Because he is the great one. And he defines greatness in a completely different way. Than the world defines greatness. He says those who are considered. The rulers among the Gentiles. They lord their power over them. And their great ones. Dominate them. But it is not to be so among you. For whoever would be great in my kingdom. Must be a servant. And the greatest of all. The Dorkinses of this world must be servants of all. Must get down below everyone. And then he says, for even the son of man did not come to this world to be served, but to serve, to stitch and to make clothes, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
0: love these rascals